Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The right-wing governments of Doug Ford in Ontario, Jason Kenney in Alberta, and the CAQ in Quebec share similarities with the experience of class struggle in Ontario in the 1990s. In this episode, Fightback editor Alex Grant speaks on the lessons of the 1990s for the struggles of today. Bob Ray, Mike Harris, and Doug Ford. Uh, Everybody was looking at the recent Ontario election and saying, well, either we're going to go back to the the early 90s or the late 90s. And uh, unfortunately, we're in the late 90s. Uh, Not that the early 90s were much better. Um, But there are very important lessons from this period for us today. And, uh, and, and this is a, um, a missing history. It, it, it's typically very difficult to study near history because the stuff that happened a while ago has normally been fairly well uh, studied and explained. And the stuff that's you know, happening very recently, well, we all remember it. But the stuff that we only just missed is normally quite difficult to, uh, to study. Uh, because the, uh, the the resources are quite limited, and and you really don't know who to trust. To be honest, I had to do a, a lot of readings to to prepare this, and I, I used to, I had to and, and it was coming from a variety of different perspectives. You know, you've got uh, left re- liberals like uh, Thomas Walkham, uh, who's a, a journalist with the uh, uh, Toronto Star. Uh, you've also got uh, NDP left. You've got various academics or sort of Marxians uh, from a sort of or people from a, from the sectarian left, and and you really have to take everything that was said with a large dose of skepticism, and co- and frequently they uh, they contradict each other, so it makes it difficult to come to firm conclusions when you're not there yourself to actually make up your mind. So if uh, so, some of the Conclusions I put forward have to be uh, tentative to a certain degree because I'm not 100% certain of my source material. But it's still a... a and, and, and the other thing that stops against a proper study and a proper understanding of this period is that, well, with respect to Bob Ray, uh, well, nobody in the NDP wants to talk about Bob Ray. And, and the right-wing mantra about Bob Ray is uh, totally hyperbolic. And then with respect to sort of Mike Harris, well, the Conservatives don't want to talk about Mike Harris, but also uh, the Labour bureaucracy doesn't want to talk about uh, Mike Harris because you had the fantastic uh, general strike movement around the Metro Days of Action, so they don't want to talk about general strikes and and illegal strikes, and all of these general strikes are illegal. And at the same time, they don't want to talk about uh, how they completely capitulated and gave up. Especially, don't want to talk about that. So it makes uh, for a, a, a difficult task, but I, I hope uh, comrades will bear with me. And and the purpose of this, you know, as they say, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. 
And, and this is a period of, of both tragedy and farce, to paraphrase Marx. And, and there are many lessons for the coming fight against the uh, populist right-wing uh, uh, Doug Ford government in Ontario, and possibly the, the CAC gov coming CAC government in Quebec. So, comrades, if you don't feel um, as, as well acquainted in the period of the 90s, feel free to uh, bring up current perspectives for Ontario and Quebec and other places in the discussion. All right. So, uh, it's kind of a... Uh, what's the word? It's a quite typical thing for social democracy to come to power in periods of crisis. Uh, the British Labour Party won power in both 1929 and 1974. So, uh, very, very bad times to win power in, in some ways. And so they faced the middle of an economic crisis. But there's an inevitability towards this of capitalism in crisis seeks out the, the alternative party in order to get it through that period of crisis. And ironically, it is also in these periods of crisis, the periods when reformism shows all of its weaknesses. Reformism is based upon redistributing the wealth of capitalism, if it's actual reformism. But when capitalism isn't producing any wealth, reformism doesn't work. You can't get reformism in a period of counter-reforms. That the reformists look to the period of, you know, the, say, 50s and 60s of the historic uh, boom period of capitalism as so-called the, the, the natural condition of capitalism where they can uh, share out the growth a little bit. But they never seem to come to power in those periods. They always come to power in periods of crisis. And this, and this was the, the Bob Ray NDP government uh, that won power almost accidentally in 1990. Didn't expect it. Ray didn't expect it. This also reflects the, uh, the Notley NDP government in Alberta, that uh, Notley was uh, quoted as saying that she only believed they were going to win in the last week of the campaign. And, yet, and, and also they came to power in a period of crisis, collapse in oil prices, an inability to get Alberta oil to market. Yes, in terms of yes, the discussion, the parallels with Alberta are also very clear. The Alberta NDP government has turned against uh, the workers, refused to uh, increase oil royalties. So the parallels are, are very stark and are now enforcing uh, public sector wage freeze and other cuts. So, similar dynamic. But the, the economic crisis in Ontario and Canada in the early 90s was one of the worst in the advanced capitalist world. So there were, Canada didn't do so badly in the 1980s slump or the, the, the 2000 slump, but the one at the beginning of the 90s hit Canada especially hard and, and Ontario even harder, the hardest of all. That so, uh, Ontario GDP, and these are here's an amazing thing 
I, I read a number of books and a number of articles about the Bob Gray uh, government. None of them include the GDP figures. None of them. You know, so this is sort of ABC for Marxists. Of you know, you start from the economic base and you look, uh, and then you and then use that to uh, illuminate the political superstructure. But uh, so I had to go to Statistics Canada and find these numbers myself. Uh, they're, 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 they're numbers that are $2,002. So uh, they don't entirely match up to the, the quoted figures at the time. But it means that it accounts for inflation. So in Ontario GDP in 1989 was $342 billion. This had gone down by 2% to 336 billion in 1990, and then down another 4% in 323 billion uh, in 2001. So this is an incredible cut. Uh, the budget deficit also, so I, they ended up posting a $10 billion deficit in 1991, a, a $14 billion deficit in 1992. So this is a you know, a more than a 4% budget deficit. So this is so massive deficit. Unemployment went up by 50% in a year. So th this is, uh, and, and the GDP, they didn't recover to 1989 levels of GDP until 1994, five years later. Five last years. The entire length of the Ray NDP government. And, uh, and, you know, the right wing tries to sort of blame that on the NDP. And, well, there's a certain, there, there's, some things definitely can be blamed for the NDP. But this was, uh, you know, this is the global crisis, it was a global crisis of capitalism. And, and the capitalists did their bit to exacerbate this, that there was a specific capital strike aimed against the Bob Ray government. That uh, and I'll come to that in a moment, but the the initial reaction to the victory of the Ray government was euphoria amongst trade unions, amongst the left. Amongst that this wasn't expected, but it was like finally, finally, uh, the Canada's Social Democratic Labour Party has won power in the most populous province. Uh, previously, the NDP won power in Saskatchewan, in BC, uh, I think in Manitoba at the time, yeah. And, uh, but I never won power in Ontario, the industrial heartland of Canada. And, and this was a real opportunity for socialism, as it was seen. And the, uh, and, and the, the inauguration of the NDP government was at uh, U of T's Convocation Hall. Uh, so like, over 2,000 people were in attendance, great enthusiasm. Uh, one sort of uh, trade union leader began up the chants of like, Premier Bob, Premier Bob. Uh, and you know, it, it was you know, the desire to sort of finally uh, put in some uh, reforms in favor of working class people was immense. Bob Ray immediately started to calm that down. Saying, oh no, we have to govern for all the people. You know, we, got, we can't just be beholden to special interests. 
Like he just, he just, his speech was uh, incredibly damp, uh, but which shows you which way he was heading. Um, and of course, you know, govern for all the people is a watchword for we're not going to do anything to upset the rich and the powerful who currently run things. But the platform, so it was a, it was a, a modest reformist platform, quite similar to the, the NDP's platform in the recent Ontario election. So, so a key element of the platform uh, was public also insurance. Uh, they also had a commitment to uh, reform corporate taxation and uh, the tax structure, welfare reform, uh, reform of the labor code, and equity legislation. So it was a modest, typical, modest reformist government that would have made modest advancements in the position of the working class if they had put any of it into practice, which is a big if. Well, they came to power and realized just how bad the economy was. But the first budget uh, of, of uh, the Ray NDP government were attempted to be a sort of modest Keynesianists. Now this, this also, we have to see the period of the early 90s. So on a global scale, this was a period, the 90s were a period of reaction. You had the fall of the Soviet Union, the victory of capitalism, the defeat of socialism, if you like, and uh, and the advance of you know uh, a free market monetarist uh, sort of Hayek style uh, Milton Friedman economics that you know Margaret Thatcher said there is no alternative you must have balanced budgets you must have cuts you must have austerity <laughs> to achieve balanced budgets the invisible hand of the market will sort everything out and. Uh, and, and so this was entirely dominant in, uh, in, in, in general politics. And, and, and the defeat of the Soviet Union made that uh, sort of even more dominant. Of course, we understand the Soviet Union wasn't genuine socialism, Stalinism, but uh, that, that was the, uh, the period of the time. And, uh, but they, they did actually try and be mild Keynesianists in their first budget. Uh, so Walcombe, uh, in, in his book called Ray Days, he sort of uh, details it, they had about uh, $2 billion of you know, stimulative spending and $8 billion, which was just the hole in their budget due to the economic crisis. Increased uh, welfare, increased unemployment, you know, uh, increased expenditure, uh, like that. Uh, and of course, $2 billion is very, very small, especially when the economy has gone down by uh, $8 billion. So it's not really going to fill the hole. Uh, but this, even this very, very mild increase in uh, sort of stimulative spending created an immense rate-baiting corporate backlash. You saw this against the Nutley government in, in the first days. Uh, 
incredible corporate backlash. Uh, Conrad Black played a leading role in this. He led uh, the effort for a capital strike. There are actually adverts in a New York and Washington newspapers saying, don't invest in socialist Ontario. Uh, there were the National Citizens Coalition put up uh, uh, posters uh, advertising in in major areas. Uh, so, yeah, one of which sadly couldn't find a picture of this. Had a picture of Marx, Stalin, Bob Ray. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's there's one that you can find on the internet. By the way, it's it's so like it, it's got a mouse trap that says like kills mice, Bob Ray kills jobs. Right, uh, and and it was just this incredible uh, corporate backlash. Uh, there's a quote somewhere here from uh, Conrad Black, basically ex uh, accusing uh, Bob Ray's government of expropriation and communism. Right? Uh, if only, if only. Um, so, uh, and, and, but the uh, the government didn't have the the ideological tools to fight back against this. They, uh, because, you know, Ray himself was, well, he was never a socialist, quite obviously. Um, and uh, actually came from a family of uh, liberal government uh, bureaucrats and diplomats. Uh, and, and actually, uh, I think he was at the, he was campaigning for uh, Trudeau Senior in the uh, 1968 Liberal Convention when Trudeau uh, won the leadership of the Liberal Party. And I only sort of came, and I was a roommate with Michael Ignatio at the university. Um, and uh, I only came uh, to the NDP when he became radicalized a little bit, when he was uh, a student in Europe. And then uh, he was on the right wing of the NDP students at U of T. When he was there, uh, so he he was uh, definitely uh, not a left wing leader. Although interestingly, when he was uh, uh, he, he was a federal MP, and then he was encouraged to run as the leader of the Ontario NDP in the early eighties. He was supported by the entire union bureaucracy, including you know QP and CAW and and all of those unions that would come into conflict uh, with him later. So, uh, but yeah, the reformists had no way to, to, to oppose this corporate backlash. And you know, the only way to oppose it is to mobilize the mass of the working class. And of course, that's the last thing that uh, the, the Ray uh, bureaucracy wished to do. Uh, but there was also, there's interesting, there's two different perspectives on this. Um, that uh, the, uh, there's a, a, a book by sort of NDP left-wingers called uh, Giving Away a Miracle. And uh, well, it's actually, Walken had an interesting perspective on why the, the right-wing um, propaganda was so successful. Was that he, he was sort of blaming that say, say the people in the uh, the Ray government were angry at the unions and the uh, the sort of uh, the term uh, sort of the NGOs that sort of the social activists for not campaigning against the right wing. 
And so uh, the unions were essentially passive and, and, and the left was essentially passive against the right-wing onslaught, allowing them to dominate uh, the political argument. Uh, but uh, the giving away a miracle folks, they were saying, well, actually, the government was trying to co-opt all of the unions and the left, and, and everybody who was a little bit active on the left suddenly found themselves in a governmental bureaucratic job and were silenced. Right? And it's probably a bit of both. It's probably a bit of both that the, uh, so the unions sort of like withdrew pressure campaigning. They said, no, no, we'll, we'll give the government an opportunity to, to have its say. And do it. So, so the, basically the entire left left the scene of political battle and left it to the right wing. And, uh, and so it was essentially the Ray government versus the corporate right wing backlash. And there was nothing to the left of the government to put pressure the other way. And uh, so I think everybody agrees that this was a massive mistake. Uh, and whether the fault for that mistake is the, the unions who were just uh, 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 <coughs> withdrawing themselves and saying, well, the, the government will do it for us, or whether it was the, uh, the government's fault for uh, co-opting all of the left, well, it's a bit of both. And so that's what, why we were very clear in our demands around the Ontario election about whether, you know, whether it's an NDP or a, uh, a Doug Ford victory, that you needed to build a mass movement against the, uh, the inevitable, against uh, the right wing. If the NDP had won, you'd need a mass movement to uh, counter the, the corporate backlash and demand that the NDP actually follow through with its reforms and not stop there, but go further. And in the, in the event of a, uh, the Doug Ford victory that we're seeing, you need a mass movement to oppose the inevitable attacks from the conservatives. So you can't just uh, sort of leave yourself for the, to the uh, government to do it all. And again, this follows into the reformist ideology of the state being a neutral arbitrator. Well, the neutral, sorry, not neutral, a, an empty vessel if you like, that, you know, the state is a neutral vessel and whoever wins uh, the election fills it with their own content. <clears throat> like, well, no, uh, it's a capitalist state that is, functions for the interests of the capitalists and, and, uh, and we shouldn't expect it to be otherwise. And uh, the, the advantage of having uh, uh, the victory of a... a to use Lenin's terms, a, a bourgeois workers' party or bourgeois labour party, uh, a reformist party in there, is that it should be more amenable to the pressure of the working class than an out-and-out -out capitalist party. That, and it is an important part in the, uh, in the consciousness, development of the consciousness of the working class in understanding the limits of reformism and the need to struggle for revolutionary socialism. Okay. So you've you got this massive corporate uh, uh, backlash. And, uh, and, and you can see which way the government was going. And, and, and the first, uh, interesting, that one of the first setbacks was, uh, it seems kind of accidental, but it was the purging of 
uh, a left-wing Welland MP, MPP, uh, Peter Kormos. And uh, he, he ended up, he was uh, one of the, actually the, the, cap, the, the, the NDP's parliamentary caucus was incredibly inexperienced. That uh, I think you know, 40 or 50 of them had never been MPPs before. In cabinet, only half of them have been MPPs before. It was like 12 and 12. And uh, Peter Kormos uh, was a, sort of a left-wing lawyer from Welland. It was quite an iconoclast. So uh, very politically incorrect. The, the workers loved him. Uh, he, used, he was known as the socialist cowboy. Yeah. Used to wear sort of denim, denim suits, <laughs> cowboy boots, and a big cowboy hat. And uh, but the the way that uh, you know uh, Bob Ray Ice picked him was uh, yeah that's a joke for some people at the back um, is um, so so the, the one of the, the most vile rags is the Toronto Sun Le you know it's to this day uh, utterly terrible publication, although I would encourage everybody, read the Toronto Sun, learn from the Toronto Sun. There is a style of writing, learn from them stylistically, don't learn from the political. <laughs> the style of writing from the Toronto Sun is very simple, clear and understandable to working class people, uh, to, to those who have not had a university education. And, and you can learn from that, of course, from an utterly opposed class perspective. It's total lies and manipulation and disgusting. Anyway, but uh, and, um, just to go with the, uh, you know, the lies, the manipula manipulation, the Toronto Sun has this tradition of sunshine girls, of scantily clad women. Uh, and I, 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 I think they still have sunshine girls. Uh, and, so, and occasionally the sunshine boys, right, to even things out a bit. And so uh, Peter Cormus appeared as a sunshine boy uh, to, uh, to, to really sort of under, underline the ridiculousness of it all. And, and he was a sunshine boy, fully clothed in, in cowboy boots and cowboy hats. And for this, he was fired from cabinet by Bob Ray. Which actually created huge problems for the Ray government because every time there was even some minor scandal, it was brought up, well, you fired uh, Cormos for being a sunshine boy. This is way, obviously way worse than that. Why aren't you firing this cabinet uh, member? But uh, you can, but uh, Cormos was responsible for public also insurance. Hmm. Wonder if that was coincidental. Left-wing MPP, responsible for public auto insurance, fired for spurious reasons. In fact, actually, uh, he was fired. He was he didn't resign. Ray brought him into his office, demanded he resign. Cormus told him to f himself, uh, and and then he was fired the following day. Right, not a good sign. And yes, this prepared the way on the one-year anniversary of the NDP government. You know, so like one year anniversary is typically a time for the government to, to say, this is what we've done for the people who elected us. What do they do? They betrayed on their one year anniversary. 
and they abandoned the public auto insurance, the one major signature reform that was supposed to be the legacy of the government. Right? And, and this created uh, this huge disappointment amongst people. Uh, the, um, and, and that was just the beginning. Now, they, they began the sort of reform of the Labour Code, and, uh, and again, you know, th this was sort of an incredible focus of the corporate backlash. And, but, uh, but the unions didn't sufficiently campaign in favour of it, and it allowed, uh, and under the right-wing pressure, they gutted a lot of the uh, progressive changes to the Labour Code. Um, but uh, uh, they did eventually pass some reforms. So they passed anti-scab legislation and, uh, and card check certification of unions in some sectors. Or they watered this down quite considerably. But this was pretty much the only half positive thing the, the Ray NDP government did. And, and that was it. They, were, they weren't going to put up with the, uh, uh, the corporate backlash anymore. And, and the general tendency was to the right from then on. Um, this came the social contract. Comrades have probably heard about this. That uh, it's, it's really not much of a contract. It was uh, you know, demanding massive cuts $2 billion of cuts from public sector workers, another $2 billion of cuts from public services. Uh, it generated uh, $2 billion in tax increases, although those mostly hit the middle class, and nothing for corporate taxation. No increase for corporate taxation, despite the commitment to reform corporate taxation and to reform the tax code. That's a betrayal asking for, uh, and this eventually led to the famous Ray Days, which were uh, 12 unpaid days off per year for three years. So a significant cut in the wages of the workers. And, and ripping up public sector contracts. An NDP government ripping up workers' contracts. And at the same time, strictly enforcing every corporate contract. Like they completely sold out to the multinational drug corporation. And uh, uh, it actually, even from a uh, sort of like a economic nationalist or even provincialist perspective, you had... Uh, Generic, generic uh, drug corporations based in Ontario, and, uh, and and Ray would not break the contracts with the uh, the the multinational brand name drug manufacturers, and and favour cheaper generic drugs, and that cost the, uh, the the healthcare system billions more on on paying for that. So. Uh, you know, a corporate contract was solid, but a workers' contract was ripped up. And so th this is an incredible betrayal. Yeah, so this is sort of an ABC of uh, trade unionism, ABC of, of social democ democratic reformism. It's not, uh, it's not even socialism. 
is you respect workers' contracts. No, nope. rip them up. <coughs> and, and this, and this uh, led the, uh, the unions to finally end their silence and, and go into opposition. The, uh, but, it, but it led to a sort of a big division within the labor movement between the common front unions led by Canadian auto workers and QP with Buzz Hargrove and Sid Ryan as major figures on the one side and then the pink paper unions with uh, uh, Leo Girard of the Steelworkers who's head of the, uh, the, the Canadian part of the International Brotherhood of Steelworkers. Is it Brotherhood? I don't know. Uh, but the so Steelworkers being an international union rather than a, uh, a Canadian union. And um, he's currently actually the international president of Steelworkers, Leo Girard. But uh, these were, they opposed the social contract, but I uh, was saying, no, we can't break with the NDP and we've got to participate and negotiate with the government. Right. But the anger actually led to uh, the Ontario Federation of Labour uh, disaffiliating from the NDP in uh, 1993. Um, and the, the pink paper unions led by the steelworkers actually led a walkout. Of, uh, so there's about 1,000 delegates on the common front side and about 500 on the, uh, the pink paper side. And on the face of it, you could say that uh, the common front were the left wing and the pink paper were the right wing. Right? They were, literally, in that sense. But they were both wrong. They were both wrong. Uh, and, they, um, uh, and they both... Uh, you know, and and the, uh, the public sector unions initially participated in the social contract, but eventually walked away. And then uh, the Ray government uh, uh, unilaterally imposed the social contract using sort of Orwellian language that, you know, this, this was a bargained agreement when it was not bargained at all. Um, but they, but in essence, they walked away, but uh, it was still imposed upon them. And, and nothing happened apart from the unions dis disaffiliating from the NDP. There was no strike action. And there was no attempt to mobilize opposition within the NDP. Right. Now, uh, the sources that, took, that mentioned strike action in response to the social contract. Like, in fact, social contract was just as bad is what Harris was doing a few years later, which elicited illegal general strikes. Um, so, but uh, there isn't much discussion about it in, uh, in the stuff that I've read. But uh, those that do discuss it say that with the economic crisis, it wasn't a good time to go on strike and there wasn't much confidence amongst the workers to go on strike. That may be true, although given the sort of liberal or reformist background of the people writing that, I'd want to talk to other people to see if it was possible to organize a strike action against the social contract, but they didn't even try. Um, so again, uh, if we were, you know, our organization really uh, stems, uh, our sort of organizational memory really stems from the sort of late 90s, and that was out west in Alberta and BC. Uh, we didn't really, uh, 
get going in Ontario into the early 2000s. So we don't really have a uh, direct political organizational memory of this period. Um, so, um, but maybe we can talk to people about that. But what they definitely could have done is mobilized within the NDP. Peter Cor so in terms of the social contract, uh, Peter Cormos and two supporters voted against it. Uh, interestingly, both the Liberals and the Conservatives voted against it. Mark, Mike Harris voted against the social contract. Um, but it won the, it, the, uh, the NDP caucus was totally dominated by uh, the Ray clique. And, uh, and, the, and of course, this got the wild, enthusiastic support of the corporate press. You know, finally, Ray's standing up to the unions, and, right? And so Ray's thinking, oh, I'm so popular. This is great. I'm getting support. Yeah, that's support like the rogue support to hand man, right? Uh, totally broke the NDP. Totally broke the NDP. Um, and, uh, but what the unions could have done, should have done, they shouldn't have disaffiliated. They should have done the opposite. They should have done a massive campaign within the NDP to say, you know, they were calling for Ray's resignation. Okay, that's well and good. But you move that in every single writing association. You move that in the NDP convention. We have no confidence in this government. And you say that every MPP that, uh, every MPP that votes for the social contract will have a working class socialist candidate supported by the unions running against them in the next election. And that would have made these MPPs think. And it wouldn't have been three against, you know, 60 or whatever. Uh, many MPPs are on the other side. It would have, it would have forced... Up, yeah, it, it's essentially a Jeremy Corbyn uh, plat, you know, tactic. Uh, a momentum tactic, if you like. Uh, but, you know, with a decent... You know, uh, running against the candidates and actually demanding a socialist program that uh, against the uh, capitulation, against the social contract. Uh, actually, but the irony is, yes, so they were popular. Uh, the, the, the social contract was popular in the right wing. Of course, it didn't help the NDP in the polls, but a little bit. It didn't go up in the polls. Uh, actually, the, uh, uh, the NDP's finance minister, who, who used to be a left, was a left in the 70s calling for nationalization. Uh, they actually put him in place because he used to be left. And they said it's better to have uh, somebody with a left wing uh, a reputation to put through cuts than someone who was always on the right wing. You've got more credit. You know, you've got to be sold in before you sell out. You know, otherwise you don't have much political cap, you don't have much to sell. Right? Uh, and they. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, he was quoted as saying, it's like, uh, he was speaking to the Toronto Board of Trade or some other corporate audience uh, who was sort of after the social contract, and they were still heckling him and booing him and criticizing him. Uh, and, he said, and, he, and he basically said, look, we do everything for you, and you still hate us. <laughs> of course they do. But they, don't, they didn't hate. They, of course, the, uh, the leadership of uh, the capital, they understand exactly what the Labour bureaucracy is, what the NDP bureaucracy is. And that's not who they hate. They hate the fucking workers. They hate the workers 
and the working class base of the NDP. But the unions could totally, you know, have mobilized um, to remove all of the social contract uh, NPPs and essentially take back the NDP, take over the NDP for the working class and socialism. But of, but of course, what was the difference between the labor bureaucracy and the NDP bureaucracy? Well, politically, nothing. There's no difference between these people. In fact, all of the Labour bureaucrats had uh, supported race candidacy for leadership. The same people, the only difference is, is where they got their paycheck. So the union bureaucrats got their paycheck from the Jews of workers who were being attacked versus uh, Ray and Co. Are getting their paycheck from the state. So, uh, so you had this... Uh, conflict, but it was a false conflict, and they weren't willing to fight, and they weren't willing to mobilize the workers. Okay, because at the end of the day, the real lesson of this is betrayal is inherent in reformism. Actually, this is not about Bob Ray. Bob Ray is clearly a bastard. We all know that. He's, he's both in uh, his uh, period in the NDP and then as a liberal, he was a bastard, always was a bastard. Uh, but it's not about that. It wasn't just Bob Ray. It was the whole bureaucracy. It was the whole structure. The fact that uh, numerous NDP cabinet members said, well, you know, I thought about things a certain way in opposition and I was quite naive. But really, when we got into government, there was no choice. There were no options. We, we had to take this action. And that is true under capitalism. This is the limits of reformism. That, and you saw that with Syriza, the betrayal of Syriza. You saw that with the betrayal of the Notley government in Alberta. Uh, you've seen that with the betrayal of the British Labour Party government. The 1929 Labour Party government betrayed. Uh, the 1974 Labour government betrayed, put in wage and price control in Britain. Uh, this is the logic of reformism in crisis. It's not because they're bad people. Ray clearly was a bad person. Uh, but it's not because they're bad people. It's because they're reformists, and reformists have no answer for capitalism in crisis. The money has got to be taken from somewhere. And you either take it from the workers or you take it from the bosses. And if you take it from the bosses, that begins an inevitable escalation in the direction of socialism and, and fundamentally in revolution. Uh, with, and, and they betrayed on everything. They, they betrayed on the tax reform, they betrayed on the welfare reform, uh, they even portrayed on the equity that uh, they, uh, responding to sort of uh, homophobic backlash, uh, they, uh, Ray put, instead of having a whipped vote on equal uh, spousal rights for same-sex partners, uh, he allowed a free vote, and, uh, and some of the NDP rural backbenchers and even cabinet members members, enough of them voted against the legislation that uh, equal uh, conditions 
for same-sex partners was defeated. Total betrayal. Uh, so, you know, when they say, oh, great champion for gay rights, bullshit, they betrayed. Uh, they, bet they betrayed on pay equity for women because it would cost too much. Ah, but what they did do was positive discrimination. Right? So if it was giving, taking from one sector of working class to give to another sector of working class, that's okay. If it's taking from the bosses and the state to give to women generally and to create pay equity, no, that can't happen. But of course, if you can set worker against worker, that's great. Uh, but th this also played a role in their, uh, their downfall in working class, in blue collar working class areas like Oshawa and Cole, that the right wing mobilized this to set uh, amongst working class, you know, uh, unionized working class uh, sectors, so-called white, you know, white male workers. Ah, oh, this government is taken away from you. And they were, for various different reasons. Right? Uh, but it's like, no, no, no. So, and, 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 and this shows this sort of, this uh, legacy of uh, sort, of, sort of petty bourgeois feminism, identity politics, etc., that doesn't want to take on the state, doesn't want to take on the capitalists, but just wants to uh, take from one sector of the workers to give to the other sector of the workers. We say level up, don't level down. Take from the capitalist class and level everybody up rather than redistribute at the bottom. Because the bottom, all sectors of the bottom are screwed over. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this alone. So if you agree with us, get involved. You can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Repose. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode is General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. It can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.